Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, again, tonight's teaching is the Simsapa Sutta, or commonly known as Handful of Leaves. Uh, I'll start with a bit of John's introduction. Here the Buddha describes the pure and direct focus of his Dhamma. He knew the foolishness and cruelty of continuing ignorance of Four Noble Truths by teaching any Dharma that would develop further confusion and deluded thinking. So, so again... What I've noticed in the first six classes is a mix of a very straightforward, these past two Saturdays of the Eightfold Path. And again, John's reminded us, if you have not uh, listened to that teaching, please do so. That's essentially the foundation cornerstone of this whole study. Last Saturday, he did the analysis of the Four Noble Truths. And again, what I noticed mixed in were teachings when you can see that the person or group were confused often because they're adding to or subtracting from the Buddha's teachings. And again, this is a, another good example of The Buddha teaching us that even though his knowledge is great, what he teaches is very precise and uh, something that you shouldn't be subtracting from or embellishing. So the Simsapa Sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying with a group of disciples in a Simsapa uh, forest near Kosambai. Simsapa is an Indian rosewood. He reached down, picking up a handful of leaves. He then asked those gathered, what is greater in number, the leaves in my hand or those in the trees? The disciples replied, the leaves in your hand are few. The trees have many more. Buddha continues, just as the leaves in the trees are numerous, the things that I know from direct knowledge are far more numerous than what I teach as my Dhamma. The reasons I do not teach other things is they do not, I'm sorry, uh, the things that they are not part of my Dhamma, they are not related to my Dhamma, and they do not support the principles of life integrated with the Eightfold Path. These other things do not lead to disenchantment, to dispassion, to calm, to sensation, or self-awakening. These other things do not lead to unbinding from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So if we go back to when Dhamma was teaching Visaka, he immediately went to what happens after unbinding. He immediately wanted to add to. He wasn't satisfied with what the teachings of the Buddha brought, which is ultimately unbinding. And uh, she said, Vasaka, you've gone too far. 
your clinging mind has demanded too many answers and your questions will lead to only more confusion and suffering. So again, we are always inclined to want to change the Buddha's teachings to accommodate our goal, which is really wrong intention. The Buddha continues. The Buddha continues, I teach four noble truths. Number one, this is stress. Two, this is the origination of stress. Three, this is the cessation of stress. And four, the Eightfold Path is the path developing the cessation of stress. This is what I teach. I teach these things because they are related to my Dhamma and they support the principles of a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. These things that I teach lead directly to disenchantment, to dispassion, to calm, to direct knowledge, to cessation, and to self-awakening. These things that I teach lead directly to unbinding from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. This is why I teach these things. The Buddha continues, so this is your practice, understanding stress, understanding origination of stress, experiencing the cessation of stress, and developing the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress. That's the end of the Sutta. Very quick teaching by the Buddha to warn us that even though he knows of many things, he has decided to only teach which brings the cessation of stress. It's as simple as that. And oftentimes the question I ask myself and I turn it around to myself, I say, what's in my hand? Am I with right intention? Am I putting all this effort that I put in every week and every sit? Is it with the right intention to keep only the Four Noble Truths in my mind. And I think each one of us can take this very simple teaching and challenge yourself and, and say, am I trying to embellish because I'm not satisfied with the these simple teachings and we want more? Or are we trying to cut something out because maybe that's a certain precept doesn't really fit my lifestyle. And again, these are simple teachings, but it's a huge commitment to follow what the Buddha is teaching. So I often ask myself at this point, five years in, six years in, do I have right intention? And, you know, I, I looked at one of John's old teachings of this sutta, and it was two hours long, and I couldn't understand if a 10-minute sutta can stretch out to two hours. But you can see that the Sangha at that time had many questions. Uh, for those of us that have been in this teaching many times, oftentimes the conversation will head toward, what about my yoga practice? Is there a conflict with having uh, something that I find 
fulfilling, but is it in conflict with this Dhamma practice or an old religious upbringing that you still cling to for various reasons, is that in conflict? And the Buddha will often counsel a new Sangha member that if they still have those clingings to an old teacher, that he didn't tell that disciple to abandon that teacher, but he also counseled them that there would be confusion if you try to kind of mold your own practice and take the good of this and the bad of that out. And again, it's a simple teaching that, of course, the Buddha knew of many things. He was a brilliant thinker. And I think in many modern Buddhist schools, because they see him as a god, he knows everything. And they would question that, did he know the future and the technology that was coming? And of course, he was just a sixth property man that was a brilliant thinker. And he understood that this handful of leaves is all that's needed for the cessation of suffering. And he didn't take out a few leaves if he was with one group of people and add to it. He was always, always consistent. And John is always consistent. And we all try to teach the same way. And even Matt last Saturday or Tuesday, he did the, uh, the purpose statement. And I won't read it again, but essentially it's saying that we don't teach anything of speculative nature or mystical. It's all been stripped down. And of course, any of that can't lead to the cessation of suffering. And the Eightfold Path is a tight, perfect little set of teachings, but it's hard to follow. So as you go forward in your practice, you might want to ask yourself, what are you holding in your hand? Is it simply the Eightfold Path, or is it something that you're trying to put together along the way? And are you confused? And it's the same kind of teaching that the Buddha gave to the Kalamas. You'll know if it's not compatible. There are compatible things that we we add to. And Matt's Kijang is a perfect example that it's compatible. It's It doesn't conflict with the Buddhist teachings. But we also know that it's not part of what the Buddha taught. Uh, and again, if, if any of you have not heard Jen's teaching to the Cross Pond group, when they had the same questions, are there conflicts in having a yoga practice? And listen to that. And Jen does a great job with, uh, with that. So uh, again, we'll go around the room. It's a... Uh, And why don't we start with John? John, you're on mute. Thank you, David. Uh, that was really outstanding. And um, 
Jen's talk, we should all listen to it. It's on the, um, under the, the drop down menu of the foundations of the Buddhist Dharma, I believe, but it's on the, it's linked on the front page. Okay, good. Um, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. It's a very small, short sutta that, that in the context, it carries so much with it, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's an ongoing admonition from the Buddha that's presented in, in a few different ways. This is probably the most direct. Where the Buddha is relating that, the idea of a handful of leaves in relation to all the trees to greed aversion and deluded thinking. And can we, can we keep this tight? Can we keep it to what an awakened human being actually taught? Or do we have to introduce other things through, through wrong view? And of course, anytime we introduce any aspect of wrong view into developing right view, it's just a constant distraction. And that, that's a kind of an obscure way of just saying the, the Dhamma is meant to be uh, focused on it and it alone because of its very nature. It's designed to recognize and abandon, abandon ignorance. And so this can manifest in all kinds of different ways. It can be that um, I, my yoga practice has a certain type of meditation. I really like it. So let me use that. I'm just using that for an example. Uh, it could be that you have a lot of um, Zen friends. And so you want to incorporate a bit of Zen or a, a little bit of a Tibetan type of teaching, or it might be that you like, uh, you like your, some aspects of Christianity. That's fine. You can practice all that stuff, but at some time, at some point, you're going to have to come up and resolve what you're holding in mind with what the Buddha taught. But this, this can also manifest in very, uh, much more direct and practical ways. Uh, so it's not so much in my substitutory. It can be not just am I substituting a bit of my yoga or a bit of my Christianity for a bit of my Dhamma practice, but I, am I also substituting uh, a night out with the friends instead of going to Dhamma class and, and engaging in Sangha practice? And it, it's an aspect of that uh, that practical and direct uh, way that we develop the Dhamma that's as important. What are we substituting for, you know, a, a 5, 10, 15, or 20 minute sit? You know, on a certain day, you know, if it's it's because it's it's too nice out, or the you know the dogs are barking, the kids want to go for ice cream, you know, you have to. It, it, this is a suit that always that also points to the uh, to setting the dharma as your priority in life, and he's also telling the, these folks in the in the uh, the sim shop before us that this has to be a priority if you want it to work. And he's also giving them the option, and I think we, we do a good job of it here, to saying, and if you don't want to, it's okay. Because we don't try to force anybody to do it, but like the Buddha did, we present the framework, and we present the opportunity, the, the triple refuge, and then it's up to us as individuals to develop it. But again, it's such a profound teaching. I could, you know, I could go on and talk for two hours again tonight on it, because it covers everything. It's a great presentation, and... Uh, you know, it's try to it's, it's, think about relating it in that practical way, though. Too, am I, am I adding things in my life that take away from my dharma practice in a practical way? That's important too. Thank you, David. Thank you, John. And it, and I think of how much simpler my life has become because I've abandoned much of the way I live my life, and it was kind of immediate when I. When I started, and I remember you asked me, "Are you going too fast?" And I and I and I 
the simple answer was that that I I understood that I, I couldn't continue the way I was living and uh, and skinning down my life included the, the wise associations that I developed in in the sangha. So uh, thank you, John. Brian. Hey, Brian. Hello. Uh, yeah, thank you for this. I, I think this is my, I don't know, fourth, fifth time through this one. And and for the first time, I realized, <laughs> I just, this is funny to me, that I, didn't, I never saw the words direct knowledge before. I had, I had just like skipped over that. And the Buddha's withholding stuff that he knows that he doesn't want us to know, like, he's reconciled quantum mechanics with general relativity or something. Right. And no, and it's like, and it's like, well, I, I've got a lot of direct knowledge too. that has nothing to do with Dhamma practice. Um, and so it was interesting just to go through that mental process to see that these held views that I had that I wasn't even aware of, um, that were diluting his message, which is again, very simple. This is what I teach. This is all you have to hold in mind, right? And there's there's something about mindfulness there too that you were talking about. What do you hold in hold in your hand? The four noble truths, right? And just again, each time I go through these suttas, the the layers pull back, and it's just absolutely fascinating. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. That's great insight. Hi, Jeff, good evening. Good evening. Uh, Yes, simple is often more difficult than complex. You know, to boil things down to their essence is a real art. And this is an example of that. And it, it occurs to me, perhaps it's, it's difficult because we spend so much of our time and energy building layers of fabrications and eye making. And that uh, to abandon all that is actually the task at hand to get to the simplest form of understanding and insight. So um, thank you for the teaching. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Teacher Kevin, good evening. Good evening, David. Thank you very much for this teaching and for everybody else's contributions. I'll take noble silence. Thank you. Thank you. Dev, welcome. Oh, thank you, David. Thanks for the sutta. Um, I'll just be observe, observing for today. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Um, Hello, my friend Jane. Hi, David. Um, I'm so grateful to the Buddha for not giving us everything he knew, for, you know, boiling it down and simplifying it. And um, I'm in agreement with you that it made my life simpler from the get-go. I mean, it was, it was something that was easily, easy to understand. Well, I shouldn't say totally easy to understand, but it was easy to incorporate into my life. So I'm grateful to the Buddha and to, and to John and to all the teachers. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's apparent early on the changes that you see in, in how you conduct yourself and 
the efforts that you're putting forth. So I totally agree with you. Laura. Thank you, David. Thanks for having uh, this teaching tonight. Um, I like what you said about how this sutta and the great way you explained it um, ties into wise associations because um, I feel that the Dhamma practice has been helping me with that a lot lately, um, kind of letting go of unwise associations and um, so that's been very helpful and then as far as the, you know, I guess touching upon what John was saying before is kind of what I'm going through right now with aspects of Christianity, I guess I'm I don't know about fully aware, but um, with Dhamma practice and meditation, I'm becoming aware of um, what I, how I was brought up, how those kind of old religious views not only contradict um, what I learn here in a lot of ways, but kind of brought me a lot of stress and um, there was a lot of clinging involved and it wasn't leading to equanimity, but yet some of those things I still, I guess, you know, hold close to my heart just because of, you know, they're tied to my family. And so I'm still trying to figure out how I can fully practice, you know, and be engaged, fully engaged with, um, in my Dhamma practice, but, you know, still be aware and respectful of, you know, something that's so important and tied into my family life too. Mm. So, but what you said tonight and simplifying that and what John uh, said, you know, asking myself those questions, um, that's, that's helping me understand more, you know, and dealing with that. So I think in time I'll, I'll, you know, understand more, but, yeah. And I, and I think part of all of our process of going through this practice, it, it, there are difficulties being householders and in difficulties of how people see you now in quite honestly, absolutely being boring and, they see it as not engaged and oftentimes just <clears throat> being rude. And I had my son tell me, yeah, dad checked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, someone, someone very close to me called me a born again Buddhist. <laughs> and again, I don't take it personal. And uh, again, it's just be gentle with yourself. John, I saw you. Yeah, thanks, David. And thank you all for bringing that up. Uh, as you know, I was brought up uh, in a very devout Roman Catholic family, uh, went to Catholic school and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a period where I just rebelled against it and it caused a lot of friction in my family. I was 12 years old and I told my parents I can't go to church anymore. Uh, and, you know, most kids at 12 years old don't do that, but I do. Um, and so for the next six years or so there was always a struggle come sunday you know and and uh, i was intransigent 
um, and there was no understanding there, so we created a lot of strife. As I came to understand what an awakened human being taught and then related it um, to uh, my family, uh, I was able to, get, able to get past the notion that I was that I was thinking of them of doing something that was foolish, and now I could just understand why they were doing it. Um, and again, that was a process that I had to go through, and I'm not uh, happy looking back on it for the friction it caused me and my family, but it was what I had to go through. Um, but you, you're in a little bit of a different position, Laura. You, you, you're on the on the cusp, if you will, of, of a profound understanding where you can also then understand um, your whole upbringing, uh, why religion was important to your family and probably continues to be. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was Marcus who really is or somebody else. Um, that said the reason why we have religion is to keep, this is a, a huge paraphrase, the reason why we have religion is it keeps people in control. And maybe that's true. And if that's the only reason we have religion, it's a it's a reasonable thing to have in a society that that can go off the handle at times, isn't it? Um, whatever the reason we have religion in our world, uh, and I think it's a little deeper than that. It's here, and we should understand it, understand the effects it's had on us as individuals, but also we understand um, those that we care most about and have to associate with. Meaning, that, that, I don't mean it to sound that way. That we are we are going to associate with. How do we mm-hmm. relate to them? And it is just through that understanding. And it, um, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that, that really got me looking at religion from a more mature standpoint, I think, is, and I was already practicing Buddhism, uh, the local church had become uh, in need of funds. And they started pressing heavily on uh, the parishioners to put more money in the basket. Mm-hmm. And one day my dad got a he got a, a letter directly from the pastor of the church saying, you're not putting enough in. And he was really upset by that because he he was still locked into the idea that his salvation depended on how much he was putting in the basket. Uh, and I was just a young man at the time. And I, I, I remember talking to him about it. Um, he was a guy who worked hard his whole life. And his most important thing was that his, his kids and his wife had food on the table. And here was somebody, and he was putting, you know, whatever he could in the basket, but here was somebody speaking from God saying, you're not paying enough. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to see, and I'm not using this to put down the Catholic Church, it mm-hmm. allowed me to see how, I didn't quite understand greed, aversion, and deluded thinking at the time, but how greed could overtake the mind of somebody even in a structure like that. Mm-hmm. And later on, that led to understanding. But in, in the moment, I said, Dad, you know you're doing the best you can for everyone. I, you know, I said, that's all you can do. And you know, so we moved on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't expect great understanding from the philosophies and ideologies that don't lead themselves to that, but we can understand why people do it. And we mm-hmm. can also understand there's a lot of good people that are Christians and Jews and Muslim or Islam, whatever, I guess you have to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's wonderful people that are that worship the moon and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do is develop understanding of why everybody has to do those things, mm-hmm. that we need to look for salvation in, in the moon or the, the, the triumvirate, you know, the Christian triumvirate, or whatever else it might be. You know, people worshiped Harry Houdini when he was going around. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we pick all different things.
things or we pick nothing besides understanding. And again, excuse me for talking so long, but it's such an important subject. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, this, this is what we think. And when we think about this, the Eightfold Path is a limiting path. So it limits us from going into those extreme views. But we also understand them because we've been there. Thanks, David. Thanks, Glass. Thank you, John. Ram. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, when I when I came here, I I had <clears throat> I had a trailer full of leaves <laughs> behind me. You know, I, I spent 40, 50 years mm. looking at all the religions and 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 practicing some of them. Um, and then I came here and I still, you know, kept going back to that pile of leaves, you know, thinking, oh, I, I can kind of reconcile this mm. pile of leaves with, with the handful that I get here. And <clears throat> there was a lot of struggle in that. But in the end, it, it was the, the simplicity and the directness of, of these teachings that, that kept me here finally realized that I spent you know a lifetime in in basically confusion mm -hmm. and conflict and um, here was finally a place where that all fell away because it's simple it's direct it's consistent and it's a practice and you start at one end and you and and the end mm. um, yeah, there is there's nothing to compare these simple handful of leaves um, and yeah and it is you know, then you look at, out into the world and you see how even in so-called Buddhism how the, the urge to gather more leaves is just overwhelming mm. for just about everybody. But it's still here. The, the, the simplicity and the directness is still here. And, and uh, I'm just incredibly grateful for that. Yes, we all mm. are. Thank you. Yes, John. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, gotta, I, I, I have to... Uh, uh, vehemently agree <laughs> with Rob. Uh, I could see that trailer that, that Rob was dragging. He brought it to every class. And sometimes it was even it was two trailers he was dragging behind him. But that's great. <laughs> never substituted all any of that for coming to class. I don't I don't know if Rob's missed more than five classes in ten years. I don't I don't I don't think he has. And again, not that everybody should practice that way, but if we want a good example of right effort it's sitting right in front of us in almost every class. And, and, uh, and, and Ron has uh, reaped the benefits of his own direct right effort. So that's all I have for tonight, Paul Steve. I think it is. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, John. Yeah. And again, before we end, it's just you can see the suttas that are presented every week. It's almost like it, they breathe. They go from showing someone having difficulties to then the Buddha bringing it back to nothing more, nothing less than the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. And then another group 
who's having difficulties and it breathes back. It never gets expanded. It never gets, you know, skinny down. It is yes. what it is. And it's always appropriate. It's always appropriate. It's, it's, you could, you could yeah. see the, you could the, the, see the questioner kind of calming down and getting centered. Uh, well, Tissa, last Tuesday. Tissa, yeah. yeah. So again, it's, it's, uh, I think John puts together nice uh, studies for us. So thank you, John. We thank will... you, David. And I should mention too, David has not missed a class, I don't think ever, maybe <laughs> one or two, but uh -huh. again, just as an example, and I would say everybody here on screen, you know, we're practicing the Dhamma as it's intended and we reap the benefits of it. It's just that way. The effort is a gentle effort though, isn't it? It takes some, but it's, it's, it's with great gentleness that we come to the Dhamma and we, we reap the rewards and our lives get simpler. It's light lifting, John. Yeah, it is. And we will end with... Wise words, my friend. Great class. Thank you thank, all. Thank you. Thank you. And we will end with uh, Meta. So please get into your comfortable meditation posture. This is what should be done by one who's skilled in goodness and one who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense of desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, David. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.